Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the Stay Tuned Network, brought to you by Nova Insider. Welcome to our season recap episode. Um, This is our first episode since the Baylor loss. It is Tuesday night at 9.30, April 6th. So the the season ended technically for us about 10 days ago. But uh, between Rob having a little bit of change in circumstances at work, um, me having a kid on the way, brand new announcement there. Um, oh. um, yeah, I have a daughter due in five months or four, four and a half months. Jeez. You heard um, it here first. Heard it here first. Coming quick. Uh, very exciting stuff. All good things. Uh, but we were not able to get around to recording uh, during the week last week. And then ultimately decided, let's just wait till we have full context and see what happens with the national championship game, given the team who beat us um, advanced to the uh, championship game and eventually won. Um, so figures. So, yeah. So here's how it's going to work. Just a little rundown here. We're going to, we're going to start with the Baylor game and just kind of go back through that. Um, the Nova Baylor game. Uh, talk NCAA broad stroke thoughts and whatever, and what happened. A um, little bit of conversation. They've been, it's been an issue since, since the selection show. Uh, the media discussion, we have a lot to say about a lot of things over the last few weeks. Um, and then we're going to do a little bit of looking ahead. Uh, we're, we're not going to dwell too much on the past here. And we're going we're gonna to look ahead um, at what's going to happen in the, in the weeks and months to come. Um, and and we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, so, so, Rob, I think we just dive right into it. Let's do it. Unfortunately, we are not celebrating another national championship. We are celebrating yet another year where Villanova has lost to the eventual national champion. But alas, that seems to be our role, either win one or lose to the champ. And this year, we just happen to be in the latter camp. We talked about Ryan, We talked about the team of destiny being Gonzaga. It seemed like the team of destiny was actually Baylor. So let's talk about Baylor. It was not, I was, I gotta say, I was watching this. We chatted at halftime during that game. Oh, man, I was feeling so good. I was like, this is as Jay drew it up. As a Villanova fan, you couldn't have asked for anything better after that first half. And I have to imagine the fan base as a whole was like, oh, shit, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. <laughs> we, we, we might do this. We might do this. And like a few minutes into the second half, I was still like, we might do this. We might do this. And then it just it just didn't happen. Baylor was... Baylor kind of tightened the screws. They turned it up, and and that was that. And, I mean, look, that's what that team is. They just beat essentially the team that was coronated as the national champion to be. So all kudos to them. If you're going to lose, lose to the guy who wins, I guess. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't make it any easier to, to take a loss, though, I will say. No, no, look. I said I said before the game I'm not going to have a hard time digesting a loss and broad, broadly I didn't um you know you make it to the sweet 16 yeah. you got to be pretty happy with the result um and then especially now lose to the eventual national champion whatever but that being said look let's just talk about a couple things first off Jay is Jay proved in that game why he is like a top 1 2 3 5 elite coach in the game of basketball right now um because his game plan was absolutely perfect yes it relied on Baylor missing some shots yes it relied on something so some things happened in that first half first 25 minutes or so of gameplay uh that that was clearly uh beneficial to us but we rattled Baylor we rattled Baylor early on we got them to play slow we got them to play our pace we got them to be uncomfortable they were forcing up shots they weren't shooting in rhythm and so sometimes, yes, they missed open looks. Yeah, but not every open look or not every look is created equally. A rhythm three, um, you know, sometimes if, if the player's in rhythm and what have you, because they feel in the flow of the game, and we disrupted the flow of the game, which was the plan from the get-go. We had to slow this game down. We had to play this game in the 50s and 60s. Ultimately, we executed the game plan perfectly for 25 minutes. Um, yeah. slow, we mucked it up. Um, we got them uncomfortable. Uh, they did not shoot well, largely because our defensive pressure was terrific. Our closing out was fantastic. 
uh, on their shooters. Um, and, and we dominated and dictated the pace and flow of the game. Um, then, you know, starting with Slater getting hurt, which I don't think is a talked enough about thing, um, in reading Villanova Twitter and, you know, talking to friends and I don't think it's talked enough about starting with Slater getting hurt that disrupted our defensive plan. And once they started to hit a few shots and started to get more comfortable, Davion Mitchell, who just to be clear is absolutely fantastic. Davion Mitchell was phenomenal. Um, especially in our game against us, but throughout the entire tournament, he carried that team until Butler finally got his act together in the final four and national title game. Um, but, but they, he started to get comfortable they started to get to the cup. They started to put the ball in the basket. All of a sudden, their defensive intensity ratcheted up. So I really feel like the Slater injury in the middle of that game. Now, he ultimately came back into the game, but he clearly was out for like it a was, five yeah. to ten minute stretch. And, it, and it, was, it was kind of – we had lost the control of, it, of the game at that point right. by the time he came back. We were trying to claw our way back in it. And Slater's good for a lot of things, but helping to claw our way back in is probably not it. No. No, Slater's great when you're playing with a little bit of a lead and you can play defense and be aggressive whenever. I do want to say right now, Shaq Fit Man play of the week, maybe the year, was that Slater dunk. Whew. Oh my gosh, Whew. the elevation on that. Yeah. I was definitely jumping out of my seat and I was thinking that was that was the moment I was like, oh man, we could we could really do this. And I gotta say, we was, you know, you were talking about the the game plan and how well it was executed. What really impressed me with this team up until kind of midway through the second half was the ability to withstand the runs that Baylor made. We took the punches, we threw a punch back, we took another punch, we countered it, and we were doing it. We were going with them toe-to-toe. We weren't hitting shots. They weren't hitting shots. And it was was pretty exciting for about 30 minutes of that. And then it then the wheels kind of fell off a little bit and and you look around and say okay well well kind of what what happened there what happened in that stretch right. and that stretch was was very dark and it was i think it was like three possessions in a row or something like that we had two or three turnovers just you know silly plays sloppy ball handling and you just watched the momentum swing so quickly to the other side and we just couldn't get it back after that and it seemed like it was just okay well this one's kind of over like nothing we did after that really really made a whole lot of a difference yeah yeah, and I go back to the they started to score the ball because because look, they're not like a pressing team in the sense that like West Virginia of like a yesteryear was like, you know, a, a pressing team. But what happens is when they score, they get to set their defense up. And so when they get to set their defense up, they get to be that aggressive, led by Davion Mitchell. And and then they just they just blew up all of our all of our plays. Like getting over half court was just a nightmare. Um and then, and then by the time we got over half court, so like focused, exhausted from just accomplishing that, that even putting the ball through the bucket seemed like a chore at that point. Um, so look, they turned on the defensive jets after scoring the ball a few times and, and we folded. Um, t- one thing I want to talk about on that front, Caleb Daniels. Um, look, I think Caleb Daniels, if you interviewed him, we didn't, but if you interviewed him, would be the first person to tell you that he is devastated over his game against Baylor. And he didn't have yeah. a good game. Didn't, didn't play well, straight up. Like, we're not going to sit here and lie to you. He didn't play well. Uh, but I, I got to say, I, I, Rob, I started blocking people on Twitter. Um, yeah. Because people are responding to, to our, like, tweets or whatever. Not, it had nothing to do with Caleb Daniels. And people just respond, like, Caleb Daniels is trash. And I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, it's a human being. It's not trash. Uh, yeah. And, like, like, I know that we know him personally. We've joked about, like, that, that he's the nicest guy ever. But he genuinely is a good kid. And calling a player who, by the way, D1 athlete was a phenomenal player in the AAC and started the year really well. And the start of the tournament was excellent. Like, not trash. So even if you're just talking about trash as like a basketball player, factually incorrect. He played poorly. There's no doubt about it. There's no two ways about it. He turned the ball over. Couldn't put the ball in the basket. Had a bad game. Um, but but th- that type of stuff, like, uh, just, just straight up, like, I-, I hate to say this, but like, you're going to get blocked if you start if you start going that route. Yeah. No, I think it's a good difference to make. Like, yeah, observe somebody had a bad game. We've definitely done it on this podcast plenty of times. We point out when people have the bad games, and I think it's just differentiating between, yeah, it's a bad performance versus personally attacking somebody. So I think it's a, it's a totally fair point. I like the approach. Keep it somewhat clean if you can. Keep it somewhat good-natured. you got to know, as a fan, if you're upset, 
just have to imagine how, how Caleb and the rest of the team are feeling. Like those guys put it all on the line every day. And like, it means a hell of a lot more to them than it does to us as a fan base. That's for sure. Yeah, And look, I, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, I get it. We're all fans. We all invest a ton of time. And I'm not sitting here trying to lecture the fan base. Like, look, no. we, we were upset all the time. Rob and I have yelled on this podcast. You've heard us. Um, you know, we, we, we ride the ups and downs with this team all the time. We all do. Um, that's part of being a fan. You know, draw a line. Like, like, come on. Like, like give me a break. That's all. Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, <sighs> my, one, so my, one, my one point on this game that I will make is that I was a little disappointed in you know, we talked about, hey, the first 25, 30 minutes were really solid, and then we hit that rough patch. This is my one knock on Jay that we've talked about it all season. When, when the going gets tough, he goes back to what he knows and what he trusts, and he did that same thing in this game where it got a little bit – it started to get a little out of hand, and Jay basically just doubled down, same team that he had out on the court – and that was one thing, if I could have looked back and maybe changed something, maybe tried something, look, I'm not a coach by any means, but I would have tried to mix it up. You had Dixon in earlier, you had Antoine in earlier, you had Arch in earlier. Just give an actually a different look to Baylor, make them deal with some different players, even if, yeah, they're not quite as talented as the players you have on the floor. It's just something different, some different mannerisms to to deal with that I wish I would have seen a little bit more of, but I mean, that's kind of seems to be a bit of a theme for the season. And you look back and say, eh, hey, it was still a good run. But if I'm going to nitpick, that's one thing I would have given a uh, shot. And look, I, and look, I think that criticism is fair. And we talked about it in the podcast before. We said Jay's got to keep his rotation loose. He's got to stick with what's been working for him in the tournament. And what worked for him in the tournament was, was, was running a deeper rotation, giving a bunch of – throwing a bunch of different looks at teams. Look, obviously, you know, Baylor – the Baylor bears aren't the, you know, North Texas mean green or whatever it was. <laughs> and, and Winthrop, um, who I was told Winthrop was fucking incredible. Um, but they are incredible, ne- Chris. neither here nor there. Bad draw, uh, bad draw for Winthrop. Yeah. Bad draw. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, but I think that Jay needed to stick with, uh, you know, keeping the rotations going. And I think in the middle of that, that stretch where things really went South, I think throwing a different look, throwing a couple of different players out there, might have been a good decision, and I'm in agreement with you there. And I do think that was thematic for the season, um, where Jay started to close down the lineup late, and that actually led to a late late season slump, in addition to injury. But it, that led to a late season slump, and then when he widened the lineup again, it started to go well, and then he cut it back down in the middle of that Baylor game when start when when we started to hit some adversity, and I thought that was the wrong move. Yeah, um, look. It's worked out for Jay many, many, many years. Um, this time, it definitely did not. Um, continuing on, I mean, what ultimately we came out to is we ultimately lost by 11, which wasn't actually Baylor's um, closest margin of victory. I think Arkansas only lost by nine. But in terms of how the game was played, we easily put the biggest scare into Baylor throughout the entire tournament. I mean, Gonzaga, Absolutely. they ran over Gonzaga like a cheap suit. They ran over Houston like a cheap suit. Um and Wisconsin didn't put up much of a fight either. And Arkansas was just kind of like a nine-point game, but it was like always that for the entire yeah. game. It wasn't like it was ever really that close. Um, but ultimately, we kind of became to 2021 Baylor what 20, 2018 West Virginia was to 2018 Nova, which was like yeah. that scare into the second half. Ultimately, though, gained control of the game and uh and and took it to him and blew him out so that was kind of what we were to them uh this year yeah and unfortunately as a fan you don't take a whole lot of solace in that it's just kind of like oh okay yeah we gave them a, a good run for their money but alas you can't hang a banner on in the rafters for hey gave baylor a good run for their money <laughs> but what was that florida state banner this year it was like ended- oh my gosh yes <laughs> ended the yes. end of the year rankings in the top 10 or something like yeah that. No, no no it was so it was because last year the tournament didn't happen and they were ranked i don't know like number three or number four or something like that so therefore they put a raptor in the banner that was like like rank like number four ranking or some shit like it was like a final <laughs> It was like a final four they made. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's just wild. Yeah. That's, that's a that's a bold move. I mean, Leonard Hamilton's a great coach. Like, let's give the dude a little bit more credit than that. I mean, geez. <laughs> Jesus. Really bad. So bad. Um, all right. Fin- final note uh, from the game. Alpha dog of the week 
I'm giving to Jermaine Samuels. Stepped up, 16 points, best on the team, game best. Moore had 15. Um, we talked about it a little briefly. J-Rob did not have a good game against Baylor. <clears throat> but Samuels, 16 points in the mix of every play, played his heart out in what may have been, we'll talk about that a little bit later, what may have been his final game as a villain of a Wildcat. Poured his heart and soul into that game um, and did everything he could for the Cats. And for that, he's our alpha dog of the week. I like it. Go out with an alpha dog of the week for Jermaine as a senior. We'll see if he comes back. I guess not, but we'll talk a little bit about that later. Yeah. All right. So some NCAA tournament recap. Um, we talked about it. We know we all know at this point, Baylor won absolutely demolished Gonzaga wire to wire. Candidly, I said 10 minutes into that game. I was, I was like, I understand there's a lot of game left, but Gonzaga hasn't shown me one thing that would indicate that they have any chance of winning this game. They look totally overmatched on both ends of the court, out physical, um, out paced, uh, out shot. Just, yeah. they just didn't, they just didn't look up to the challenge whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be one where you're going to look back six months from now, a couple years from now and say, Oh wow. Baylor really ran through the tournament and yeah, it wasn't, you know, huge, huge wins every single game, but the stamp at the end against a Gonzaga team that was undefeated, that people were just tagging up already as the national champion, and to do what they did to them is going to definitely go down historically as an amazing win for them. It was one of the largest championship victories in the past 30-plus years. And like you said, it wasn't close. It was never really a game. Gonzaga quote, made it a game at halftime when they got it to 10, and they got it down to 9 at one point in the second half. But it, like, it, it literally never got any closer than that. So yeah. kudos to Baylor. They got the job done. Everybody talked about them and Gonzaga's 1A and 1B this year. Look, that's a championship we got. It was great. And Baylor just really got the job done. And kudos to, to Scott Drew for coming up with a much better game plan. Mark Few, I, I don't know what he was doing from a game plan perspective, but Man, he got smoked. Like we, we kind of gave them the blueprint. I don't know what happened on that. Yeah, like, I know it's a different team. Like obviously, yeah. you approach it differently. But like Gonzaga's got a lot of great athletes on that team too. You would have hoped they would have pulled out some of the tricks, but who knows? Yeah, look, Gonzaga. Look, the perfect season was ruined. I, I have I have a lot of qualms with what few how few's game plan was. Look. Gonzaga is going to play more quickly because they have the horses to play. I mean, like the blueprint for them wasn't to muck it up. I mean, you muck it up versus an opponent who you feel like is physically and athletically superior. You don't muck it up versus an opponent who you think that you could go toe to toe with, except for the fact that they couldn't go toe to toe in any stretch of the imagination. And so I'm wondering why Mark Few didn't call an early timeout and and uh, and make some adjustments. I mean, he's not known for his adjustments because he rarely has to make them um, yeah. throughout the course of the WCC season. And I'm not I'm not the guy who's dogging Gonzaga for not having a tough conference schedule all the time. Like they don't factual factual yeah. like just matter of fact. But that's not their fault necessarily. Um, so, and they played a, they played a very hard non-conference schedule, um, but they, they didn't have to play a game this year, a single game this year where they had to like potentially change strategy and adjust on the fly. They should have. And then they, and then, you know, but the only guy who seemed to be able to do anything against Gonzaga was Jalen Suggs, who was the only guy physically and, and athletic gift wise was able to go toe to toe with Bill. It's the only one. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, so. Their season was ruined. I want to get to that a little bit later because there's a lot of like Villanova stuff to talk about there. The Twitter Twitter was wild for the last couple of weeks, and we got to talk about that. Um, but before we do, just some more NCAA recap. The Big East did enough. Um, I know it sounds crazy, but by just virtue of Villanova and Creighton making the second weekend was kind of like enough to get it done. That was the that was the job. That was what the ask was going into the season. Yes, absolutely. It's getting two teams in, even though Creighton kind of got smoked. It was whatever. Nobody expected Creighton to get the job done there. So nobody expected Villanova to win. And again, they lost to one of the other finalists. So what are you going to do? I'm curious to see what happens next year. We'll get into this a little bit later, too. It's going to be not a great year for the Big East next year in terms of power conference, but 
look, another year, check the box, another broadly successful Big East campaign. I'll kind of take it as a whole. Yeah, I'll take I'll take a, I'll take two teams into the Sweet 16 as a as a win uh, for the conference. That's not the level of caliber that we should expect every year. But in this weird year and how everything played out late, especially with the Gillespie injury, especially with how some teams flamed out with some COVID pauses, I'm going to give, I'm going to give it a pass and say that was, that was fair enough. Um, And look, especially compared narrative wise, big 10 at a much worse tournament, in my opinion, Um, uh, you know, big 12 did okay by virtue of, of, but big 12 did okay by virtue of having uh, Baylor uh, win the, win the title, but otherwise did nothing (laughs) else. Um, hey, look, look, you, you can't do that narrative because we've benefited from that in the past, too. If your team wins the national championship, that absolutely checks the box. You have fully done enough. No qualifiers needed. So the Big 12 did more than enough. Fair enough, fair enough. SEC did okay. Arkansas had a nice run. Alabama flamed out. Um, the ACC was straight up bad. Uh, and then, and then, you know, I, I will go back. Big Ten, Michigan does get some credit for the Elite Eight uh, because they were undermanned. Um, but, but otherwise, the Big Ten didn't even get two teams out of the first weekend, which is a disaster. It's an absolute unmitigated disaster for that conference, given how hyped they were coming out of um, the regular yeah. season. Yeah, we talked about that on the last one too. Yeah. So don't need to rehash yeah, it too won't, much. Yeah, won't do that. Pac-12 uh, was awesome. Obviously, UCLA was a revelation. UCLA almost beat Gonzaga, so uh, that was crazy. And we're going to kind of parlay that into the media discussion that we need to have about this tournament, and specifically around Gonzaga, specifically compared to Villanova teams of the past. We got to have this conversation because Rob. Oh my god! It was it oh was outrageous. It was. Are we talking about are we talking about the shot, the Jalen Sugg shot? Yeah, let's talk about the Jalen Sugg shot. Let's start there, and we got to work our way to other things. But like, let's start with the Jalen Sugg shot. This was absolutely wild. So Jalen Suggs makes this contested half court overtime shot to beat UCLA in the semifinals. Look, great shot. You know, I, I don't even know if I'd say a great shot when you're taking it that long. And it's kind of a hoist. It's not even a shot. I'm not going to give him all that much credit for it. But look, he made the shot in overtime to put them in the finals, which by any definition is an absolutely big shot. All of a sudden, though, as soon as it happens, everybody's talking about, oh, it's one of the greatest shots in NCAA history. Is it the greatest? Is it the greatest shot in, in tournament history? Just stop. Absolute lunacy. Lunacy. Compared to the fact, obviously, we can talk about Jenkins. There have been other championship-winning, game-winning shots. Just an absolute crime to rate that up there against some of the other big ones. Just by virtue of the fact that, one, it's in the semifinals, and two, it's against an 11 seed in overtime that they needed to beat that team, who they should have absolutely demolished. It was a saving grace-type shot. So, no. It is not on the same caliber as Chris Jenkins, especially because they now didn't finish the job. That shot is nothing now. It is absolutely nothing. It's, a, it's but a footnote in history. It is, it is up there with the Alabama forcing the overtime shot, whatever that was early in the tournament. It's nothing. This isn't even, this isn't even Marcus Page in 17. This is 16. zero. Jesus. 16, whatever the hell year it was. It doesn't even matter. This is not Marcus Bates. This is, this is zero. Yeah. I'm over it. Yeah. I, I have to agree. Look, look, this, this is how I, my, my, like, I wanted Gonzaga. I was literally watching the Gonzaga UCLA game and I was like, I want Gonzaga to win because partly fuck UCLA. I don't have any love for UCLA. Nick <laughs> Cronin. And, and we talked about it on the last podcast. I said, I'm kind of rooting for Gonzaga if, if it's not us because, you know, okay, Catholic school kind of like always gets the rep of not being able to do it, which is kind of bullshit. Like they've always been really good. They've been good for a long time. Fuse a great coach. Like that program deserved a national championship just to put, just to quell the haters and to, and to stop all of that. And we've been there before. So I kind of appreciated that. Um, and I wanted to see them get over that hump from the moment that Suggs hit that shot and the media reaction and everything that took place thereafter. I, by the time I sat down to watch the Gonzaga Baylor game, I was full fledged rooting for Baylor. 
full-fledged rooting for Baylor. Like, 180. I was rooting for Gonzaga, straight up rooting for Gonzaga to win the title. And I flipped, and I was literally rooting for Baylor. And I was, like, enjoying Baylor eviscerate Gonzaga. Why? Just because of the, the media narrative? Yeah, it, was, it, it really had a lot to do with the media narrative. Because, because, okay, so here you go. So Gonzaga was crowned the entire half, last half of the year, second half of the year, whatever, the best team of the decade. Right, like everyone's like, oh, well, look at Ken Palm. They got the best Ken Palm efficiency margin ever. This is the best team. This is better than Villanova 18. This is the best team, maybe better than 09 Carolina. Like, they're like calling this team, crowning this team the best team ever, like way early, like this whole narrative, Twitter blowing up, talking about it, whatever, all the media pet members. Then, so then they get taken to the wire by an 11 seed. Okay, like let's talk about it. Like, and, and I realize that you see, like, you can argue that they shouldn't have gotten 11. They shouldn't have been the first four. Maybe you could argue they should have been an eight, nine, seven, whatever seed. It doesn't matter. Any seed that you want to draw up that UCLA was should have not given, quote unquote, the team of the decade any sort of challenge in any game yeah. of this tournament. So, so whether that be a uh, second round game, or in a, an Elite Eight game, or a Final Four game, whatever it may be, um, you know, and Suggs banks in a, a heave in overtime to beat an 11 seed, okay? Like, stop it. Yeah, and, and, it's, and, it's ridiculous. And Rothstein tweets out, John Rothstein tweets out, this is this generation's Christian Leitner moment. What the fuck? Did we forget? Did we forget? Did we forget five years ago? It was five, five years five ago. Five years ago, Chris Jenkins... Hits a dash, and this is not even as a Villanova fan. Like, and by the way, and like to be clear, like I am a Villanova fan, Villanova homer. Don't need to lie about that. Everyone listening to this podcast knows that. But like everyone in the media, like, like started to react because it, it's it was funny because like on Saturday night and then Sunday, everyone was talking about how this is the Christian Leitner moment. This is amazing. This is the best shot ever. Blah blah blah. Whatever. And then Monday morning, like talk shows hit. And like, I felt like that finally drove some sobriety into that conversation because it was like everyone else started to come back and be like, oh, wait the fucking second. Chris Jenkins hit a shot to win the fucking national championship. To win it. Like, yeah. like at the buzzer, horns in rhythm, actual three shot that required actual skill. Yeah, yeah. Not a, not a heat. Not a heat. Not a heat. There's, a, there's a difference. Yeah. And it yeah. should be noted. Like, you hit a nice shot versus you threw it up there and it went yeah, in. Yeah. Like, that's what So, that's with all the pressure on him. He gets a pass from Archie Diacono and drills an NBA three-pointer in rhythm, perfect form, the whole nine yards, total net. Nance is talking about – Nance gets interviewed. There was a clip of him, Jim Nance, saying that it was his favorite moment call ever, um, and that's the one that stands out to him. And people is all forget this, and it's just like, and it's just like, oh, Jalen Suggs, man, that was the Christian Leitner moment. John Rothstein says, "Get the fuck out of here, John Rothstein." And by the <laughs> way, we talked about this earlier about like not overly killing people. You do this for a living. John Rothstein gets paid to do this for a living. How do you forget the Chris Jenkins shot to win the national championship at the buzzer five years ago? Or, five years ago. or did or did he accomplish his goal? We're talking. We're still talking about John Rothstein uh, even after the tournament. Yeah, well, me talking about John Rothstein isn't putting any further money in his pocket because it's not like I'm watching CBS Sports Network because as we've seen I'm buying I'm buying my John Rothstein gear right as, now just to spice as you. we've seen throughout as we've seen throughout the year uh, very many Villanova fans do not subscribe to the CBS Sports Network oh my god um, so true I'm gonna get a big John Rothstein shirt I'm gonna get his face on my chest yeah. Then, then like a bunch of other things happen. Like people are, you know, people are still talking about Gonzaga. Oh my God, team of forever. Like this is the greatest team ever. Like it's almost like the Sug shot, like turned it into this. Like it turned it on overdrive. And I was like, can we talk about this? Because Sug should have never had nah, to hit that shot. Gonzaga, Gonzaga is the seventy-three win Golden State Warriors. Yes, yeah, that's exactly regular regular season champs couldn't get the job done. If you don't get the job done doesn't matter. that's right history doesn't then, then like andy katz is ranked is rating oh the 10 best most outstanding player performances of the last 20 years he puts out this list which andy katz we've had a lot of problems with uh, of him lately leaves dante divincenzo off literally ties like literally dante divincenzo in 2018 tied like the best performance in a national championship game like ever 31 points leaves him off yeah don't, don't worry about it not a big deal not a big deal <laughs> i guess not a not a big deal I did. I did watch the highlights of that game the other day. Oh my gosh, it was so. I forgot how many just majestic threes he had. He just 
could not miss. Like, it was beautiful. He was, man, talk about a player in rhythm and absolutely feeling himself. My goodness, it was just the confidence was oozing out of him that game. Yeah. Wow. So, so putting this all in context, I am, I am the, the 2018 Villanova team was the team of the decade. 2010 to 2020, 2021, sure. team of the decade, period. Gonzaga has no argument anymore. None. Um, if anyone, Baylor, can, you could argue, has the argument to make because uh, they looked really good. Um, but, but yeah, Villanova, 2018, team of the decade. So whatever. Then, then cool. final, final, final footnote. Since 2002, when Jay took over, 2001, 2002 was Jay's first season. Since Jay took over in 2002, Jay has been to 15 NCAA tournaments, which is terrific. Eight times Jay has won the title or lost to the eventual national championship. That's 2005, 2008, uh, sorry, 2005, 2006, 2008, 2009, 14, 16, 18, 21. Either they lost to the national champion or won the championship. And every time that Jay has made it to the second weekend, that happened. The only time where we didn't make it to the second weekend and it happened was in 2014 versus UConn, who went on to win the national championship. So that's a pretty outstanding record. And that got a lot of Twitter play over the last 24 hours. Yeah, that's true. I, I will say, though, I just take, like, there's no reward in this anymore. Like, it's, it's a fun fact, but I'm kind of like, I don't care. It's... Yeah, you, you win it or you don't. You make the final four or you don't. I used to I used to get some satisfaction from the fact that we lost the national champion. Now I'm just like, eh, whatever. It is I think it. there's a notion that you if you beat the uh if you lose to the team that's destined to win, that they're like maybe you could have made it further if you just got a different draw. That's kind of the that, that's well, the well, solace. Well, let's 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 pull a Florida Florida State. We can get that rafter. We can get that banner. No, I'm not too. saying. Hey, we we could we could have made I we could have made it further, but we had I to didn't play say hanging up in the rafters. I'm not in charge of the rafters here. Let's but let's it's a send, fun. Fact. Let's send one of those. Let's send one of those to West Virginia too. Hey, you guys would have done better, but you had to play yeah, us. Well, that's true. Um, it's fair. Fair point. All right, so that kind of gets through the first part, recapping the tournament. Any final thoughts on the tournament or anything like that? No, I mean, I think we've kind of rehashed it to death. Look, these guys got as far as we thought they were going to get to. We talked about the ceiling. We kind of hit the ceiling. So it is what it is. You you wanted more. We got to tease for a little bit more. You got to be proud of the guys for putting in the effort they did, especially being down Colin Gillespie. That's no joke. Don't forget it. So, yep, I'll take it. Good on the guys. Would love to see us get it done, but... What are you yeah. going to do? And I was happy to see the tournament get pulled off and felt good to get that little, totally, little sense totally. of normalcy to watch that. So that Absolutely. was nice. Um, all right. So second part, we got to talk about looking ahead because there's a Stay lot ahead. going on. There's a lot going on in college basketball, around the Big East, everywhere. Um, so first, we have some Big East news, some some transfer portal news. We got, we got player stay slash go predictions. So let's just talk about what we know. Here's what we know. Cole Swider announced his decision to enter the transfer portal uh, shortly after uh, our final game. And within the... I, I, I think he may have entered the transfer portal as he was coming to the bench on the second half. It was that quick. <laughs> it might have been. It might have been. Um, either way, uh, Cole Swider said, you know, uh, this is... I, I, who knows what happened? He said, either this not working for me or Jay said it's not working for us. Whatever it was, I don't know the ins and outs. Um, tried to ask around, didn't get much info. Um, but but Swider said, I'm going to transfer. Ultimately made the decision to transfer, got recruited hard uh, by Syracuse right away, um, and ultimately committed to play basketball at the University of Syracuse. And he has two years of eligibility left, and he'll probably use both in the as a as a member of the Syracuse Orange. Um, Overall, like I kind of joked, like oh, I could see Cole Swider fitting in at like a school like Wisconsin that kind of plays that slow brand of controlled basketball. They like to shoot the ball, whatever. Um, Cuse is a perfect fit. Like Cuse, Cuse is great. Like Cole Swider yeah. in that in that two three zone, like he can play defense in that zone. He doesn't need to be ex- excessively quick. He's six eight. Um, he's, yeah, long. He's, he's long. Yeah. So like he will fit in that zone, and they will find opportunities for him uh, to shoot the three ball. So I think that's a, you know, they'll, they'll play four out, they'll play three or four out. So I feel like that's a, that's a good fit for him. Um, it's, you know, he's from, I believe he's from Rhode Island. Um, so, yeah. so, you know, not, you know, still about equidistant from where Nova is, maybe even a shorter trip from Rhode Island. So uh, overall uh, a good pick for him. 
Um, and so I'm happy to do that. You know, I appreciate, you know, we did, we did give our, you know, share of, of criticism, but ultimately it had nothing to do with his effort. He put the time in, just wasn't physically mobile enough. <laughs> just, just wasn't. Yeah, he just wasn't. He just didn't have. He, he yeah, didn't have I mean, the quickness, I mean, the lateral look, quickness. So he couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, look. If I'm guessing what happened, he probably looked around, saw at the end of the season, hey, my minutes, especially in crunch time, were going down. He only played ten minutes against Baylor, and I think the two games before that, his minutes were less than Antoine's, a guy who really came on only at the end of the year. And you have to think, given that, and then hey, you've got a whole other recruiting class coming in that time is going to be sparse potentially next year or at least really competitive. And yeah, it's not like he had some stellar performance this year that he could rely on. So I get it. Not shocked. Yeah. Move on. All right. So what else do we know? Um, what else do we know? Not uh, a whole lot. To not, be a whole, not a whole Jay, lot. J-Rob is one of the big question marks for sure. We talked about him going in on the draft. At this point, he's not really on too many mock draft boards as a first rounder. It's really very, very late first round or kind of early to mid second round, which is not ideally where you want to be if you're leaving early. There's a possibility he comes back. We've always assumed that he's going to be leaving this year. That's still my assumption, but there is a world, I suppose, in which he does come back and say, hey, I want to be a first team All-American and actually play more of what I think of as my natural spot where he's going to play at the four, maybe even Jay puts him at the three a little bit. Who knows? I mean, he could, there's a world in which he could play maybe a little bit of a three at, at the next level. So maybe he wants to come back and showcase that skill set and move up into the first round. Cause the first round is some real money from, uh, from a guarantee perspective when you're dealing with the NBA. So there's definitely some incentive if he does want to come yeah, back. Um, I totally agree with everything that you said. The one thing that I will note is that he is being judged. His draft stock is being judged right now based on his performance as the Villanova five. And I'm wondering once we get to team workouts, combine type stuff, does he show his full complement of skills better in that and fly up the draft boards once teams get a chance to see him in action and see his full skill set as a three, four type of combo type player. Um, and yeah. I feel like once you put that together, someone or multiple teams will give him a first round guarantee um, and he will ultimately decide to leave, hire an agent and leave. Um, so Fair that's enough. what I think ultimately happens with Jared. That's my prediction. Um, look, would it absolutely blow my mind if he's back next year? No, it wouldn't t- totally blow my mind if he falls back, doesn't have a good draft um, you know, workout type of situation and, and, you know, ultimately falls back and teams don't love him and give him a good answer. He may come back. Um, so that would be wild if he did. And that would ult- immediately vault Villanova into a top five uh, type team next year. Absolutely. Um, right, then you have the three seniors. So we have three seniors, Colin, uh, Demir Kazi, Roundtree, and Samuels. We've talked about them a lot on the podcast, a lot on Twitter. Um, they all can return because of this weird COVID year. Um, and the, the question is, what will they do? Um, we know that Colin got hurt, tore his MCL. Surgery went well. Um, we were told that he did not need a, um, a full replacement. Uh, uh, he did not need a cadaver or anything like that. He just straight up needed, a, needed the surgery. Um, so, it was, so that was good news that shortened his window in terms of, in terms of recovery time. Um, and he's already, you know, surgery went really well uh, based on all the reports. Um, he flew out to Indianapolis to watch the game, obviously was on crutches. Um, but, you know, he's been on podcasts. He's been he's been live with people saying, hey, look, you know, I'm doing better. I'm, I'm getting back into PT soon and whatever. So, you know, his his uh, his healing up process is is going well. And as we all know, kid is a total warrior and a total fighter. Um, so. You uh, you like his chances to to get back uh, to action as soon as possible. Um, you know he's indicated that he's going to explore his options and figure it out, and he's got a decision. And I, I honestly don't know if Colin Gillespie knows what he's going to do at this moment. Yeah, these big life decisions are tough. These are the, some of the things that you know I struggle with. Hey, should I take another job or not? I usually end up saying, <laughs> yeah, I definitely should. <laughs> my career, if you look at my LinkedIn, um, but. Anyway, I think you're right. It's it's going to be a tough decision for him. It is interesting that he is considering it. You know, it's not a hard yeah. no. 
wouldn't, wouldn't shock me. Here's my point, back. though, is that I feel like a lot of times our players like, oh, I'm going to explore my options or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And you genuinely actually don't know what they're going to do. Um, and so they end up so like, so, or sorry, you genuinely do know what they're going to do. Like, oh, I'm going to explore it. Like, yeah, I'm staying in the draft. Like, you, you, you tend to get yeah. that. You tend to get that sense. With Colin, I don't know. I genuinely don't know if he knows what he wants to do. Um, I'm sure he's got a lot of options in front of him. He's probably looking at, okay, do I go to the draft? Do I go right to Europe? Do I go to the G League? Do I go and go for a, a two-way contract in the way Archie Diakono worked his way in his league? Do I go back to Villanova? Is that the best way to improve my potential career? Maybe get a master's degree? You never know what these people want to do. Um, so so yeah. that's that. Uh, Demir Cosby Roundtree, similar boat. He hasn't played basketball in over a year. Um and we've talked yeah. about that ad nauseum on the podcast, ad nauseum on Clubhouse. I don't know what is going on in his head. Um, recently, uh, you know, I've been saying before, like, oh, of, re- of late, that I could see him saying, you know what, I've been fully into this social justice initiatives. I've been learning a lot. Obviously, kids a fighter too, great grades, cares about the community, very uh, focused kid, um, good guy. Uh, I could see him saying, you know what, I'm going to walk away from basketball and doing some other things. Of late, though, I've kind of heard some noise. It's just rumors. I haven't heard anything official from anyone who I would, a source I would trust, but that like he is actually considering playing again. And so, like, whatever. So, I don't know. This is pure rumor mill. This is pure whatever speculation. I, I think uh, coin flip. Yeah. It's going to be, will be interesting if he does come back, though. <laughs> It's going to be tough, assuming, you know, assuming Dixon is back and, and doesn't transfer, which I certainly hope he doesn't, to be very clear. But with him and then with the recruits that we have coming in, it's not like, I mean, yeah, he's going to have some time there. But I have to imagine the skill set that Dixon brings is a little bit more akin to what Jay wants to run through the rest of his offense since Dixon can spread the floor. So just because, yeah, he's a senior, look, he's going to be stronger. He knows the defense, et cetera. But I don't think the, the minutes are going to be a guarantee. So I like the idea of a coin flip. He's probably got a lot of yeah. things to think about. We, we unfortunately don't have any great No, no, here. we don't. Samuels, I think we have a little bit better insight. Not because we know information, but because of just thought process-wise. I don't think Samuels comes back. Um, because yeah, because I don't be think Jermaine Samuels gains anything from another collegiate season. He's, he's plenty strong enough. Yeah. His body's in perfectly good condition. He's in great shape. Um, he's got a body of an NBA player, just to put that out there. Um, um, he's got the size, athletic capabilities, et cetera. He's not on any draft boards because his skill set, his skills aren't developed enough yet, whatever. But we've watched that for four years and he's gotten more skilled as his time has gone on. But I'm not convinced that he gains anything from playing another season in college basketball. Like play another year against the Big East competition and whatever. I don't think you're going to see a fundamentally different Jermaine Samuels. Now, could he? Could he come back and be awesome and just light it up? Yeah, it'd be a first team. He could be a. He would certainly be first team All Big East. Um, you know, candidate. Um, and he could light it up. Uh, but I'm just not sure. I see that with him. I'm kind of of the inclination that Jermaine is kind of a guy who enters his name into the draft. Ultimately, knows he's not going to get picked. Tries to get picked up. Um, you know, in the quote unquote third round on on the um, post draft uh, pickup. Uh, pickup list gets into the gets into the summer league gets into G League type of play and tries to get a two way contract later on maybe a year or two down the road I think that's some Samuel's yeah. path or you can go right to Europe and make a good amount of money um, you know yeah you know absolutely. with COVID ending I think Europe again becomes a you know a a better option because you'll know you'll be able to get back home if you need to um, whereas a lot of players and we've been talking to she- uh, Daniel Shefu recently quite a bit um, who is you know, kind of said, I don't know if he's fully walked away, but he said, you know, it's just so crazy and I can't get back there. If I go back there, I can't get home, whatever, ultimately trying to start pursuing other career opportunities potentially. So I think that Samuels has, has good options in front of him at the pro level. And I think he ultimately takes that because I think his time at Villanova and I think his growth capabilities are done here. Yeah, that's fair. I have nothing more to add. Continue on, yeah. continue on. We so got a question. We, we got a question um, on Twitter. Do we yeah. expect any transfers in? No, I don't think Jay's farm in the transfer market at all. We'll get into this a little bit. Our recruiting class is super full. I, I, I just don't see it. I, I'm not, I, I can't envision. Um, well, I mean, our, our last one worked out so well with Mr. Yeah. yeah so. right. um, and then, and then uh, uh, the transfer portal that's been very talked about. Uh, the biggies got killed, absolutely killed. 
um, Georgetown, after going on a run to win the Big East tournament, um, led by Kudus Wahab, Wahab enters the transfer portal and commits to Maryland. What the fuck? Wild. Patrick Ewing, I don't know what is happening there. We've talked about it before. It just seems to continue. It's just a weird, a weird rotating door of characters at Georgetown. Yeah. I don't know if it's Ewing's coaching style or what. You thought maybe they were on the upswing a little bit since they made the tournament this year, but clearly yeah. it doesn't seem to be connecting Look, with everybody. Look, I think you got to go on a case-by-case basis, though. And with Kudus Wahab, I just cannot, I cannot fathom it. Unless there was some other situation that we are just not privy to, which could be the case. That doesn't make any sense to me. Because because it's not like, like uh, okay, you're going to learn from Patrick fucking Ewing and you were getting minutes. He played significant minutes throughout the Big East tournament. It was a focal point of their offense and defense. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why, why go to commit to Maryland? He's going to play less time. So so yeah. I, I, I can't fathom it, but neither here nor there. They, Georgetown, that's a killer thing for them. Although, you know, Ewing does have a good recruiting class coming in. And then Creighton and St. John's, both who had good years, um, get killed in the in the transfer portal too you know creighton kind of a little bit less because they have some players returning who are key points but christian bishop decides to transfer can't understand and grasp that whatsoever and then st john's after all of the excitement that they had this year and all of the you know love of the coach and everything and the program that they've been showing like four or five guys transfer out of that program it's crazy really crazy i mean i think it's not shocking this year the number of transfers is up pretty much exponentially relative to years past, at least at this point in time. So it's not just the Big East that's getting killed. You're seeing it pretty much across the board. Look, the pandemic's made people rethink a lot of things. The extra year of eligibility has certainly made people rethink a lot of things. And you have to imagine, I don't, I don't think it's guaranteed to be a free transfer at this point, but, um, but you have to imagine the NCAA is probably going to be a little bit more legal oh, no, to granting be, that. They'll be able to play right away. Everyone oh, it is, it is, it is free. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's a, so that's why. It makes yeah. perfect sense. Um, and then the final point on the Big East, Steve Wojciechowski, Wojo, was fired. And I just like to take a lot of credit for that. <laughs> yes. The uh, the Marquette Board of Trustees called us and asked our well, opinion. We, we, just, we, made it very we just shared all of our do. tweets and tapes with them and said, here you go. Here's our opinion on, on Wojo. <laughs> uh, but thank God they got rid of they got rid of it. They got rid of him. He was he was a terrible stain on that program, just a, just an awful coach, um, totally entitled, um, totally entitled coach on the sidelines. Terrible job, couldn't do anything with that team. Always flamed out, you know, December champions every year. Um, couldn't handle the Big East. Uh, the, the the players took the personality of the coach, complained constantly to the refs. Just 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 all around terrible. Couldn't defend, didn't do anything right, um, and and ultimately you know, decreased the, the good name of Marquette over the course of his coaching tenure. Um, Yeah. We'll we'll see what Chaka Smart does. I'm curious about that. Chaka Smart obviously was a big hire a decade ago coming out of VCU when they made the final four run at that point. Wasn't really able to do a whole lot at Texas. That said, he's still a pretty young guy. Definitely one of the buzzier names and one of the buzzier hires in the coaching circle this year. So Good on Marquette for getting somebody who's definitely going to energize their fan base. And I believe, I believe Shaka Smart has Wisconsin roots as well, too. So they'll be able to leverage that. It's definitely a net good change for Marquette. Obviously, as you mentioned, Wojo wasn't doing a whole lot with that program. So any change was probably going to be a good change. This is probably one of the most exciting hires. I don't know if it's going to be the best hire. But probably one of the most exciting hires that Marquette could have made. So good on them. You know, if nothing else, it'll bring some more energy to the program over the next couple years. If it doesn't work out, you move on to somebody else, and you probably wouldn't have been any worse yeah. off with Wojo. So yeah, good look, look I, just a final comment on that. I, I do agree with you, Rob. I, I think that I, I don't think past performance always indicates future results, and Shaka could have learned a lot of things about his. Uh, time. Um, Shaka could have learned a lot of things about his time coaching Texas and whatever. Texas is obviously a major, major program. Um, Marquette's a nice program over the time. Um, so I, I think I think he'll do better there in kind of an in-between between VCU and Texas in terms of program stature. Um, and I think that that'll be a good thing for him and, and their program. Yeah. All right. Recruiting. Got to talk about it. We didn't get Keels. 
Um, which is which, yeah. uh, you know, by the time it was done, didn't come across as a surprise. Um, we had been talked about and had gotten a lot of crystal balls as recently as a month ago. The rumor mill, what I've heard, birds chirping in my ear, no, nothing official, is that Heels actually had told Jay that he was intending on committing them on Easter Sunday. And that was the original intent. And then I don't know what happened, but something got jacked up over the course of the last month. Um, and he totally changed his mind and, 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 um, and ultimately committed to Duke and moved up his commitment time. Once he did that, and said, oh, I'm going to commit on national television and the whole nine yards. I knew Villanova was out because that's just not how Villanova guys tend to do things. It's not how Jay like, likes it done. So for me, I just saw the writing on the wall right away. Yeah, look, it's a bummer, obviously, when you miss out on one of these top recruits. But we're going to be okay because we have – we already had, even without Keels, a great recruiting class as it is. And as we talked about earlier – we have a lot of guys coming back, so the infrastructure is there to to make it happen. I would have been more upset if Keels was just like a pure point guard that we missed out on, but he's not. So he's a, another combo guard. Look, I'm always great to have another combo guard on the floor, but we're actually pretty strong at the at the two and the three next year. So yeah, you can always use another five star recruit, but I'll take what we have and yeah. I'll be excited. And look, we're going to go into further year. detail on this. Um, and one of the players is already with the team, but Rob mentioned it. Four players coming in next year, technically three, because Trey Patterson's always already with the program. Trey's six eight forward. We know that. We've seen him in action a little bit, um, but highly touted recruit in, in, in Trey Patterson. Angelo Breezy, six uh, three guard, lot of energy a lot of enthusiasm around his ability to play uh jordan longino longino um six five guard just won a shooting contest um and i think bill raftery said in the north texas game if you can't shoot don't come to villanova uh so i think he uh seems to be fitting the bill early um and then nana njoku six ten center and one of the tallest guys, actually, 6'10". He's one of the tallest guys that Jay's ever... Yeah. He's up to 6'10"? Oh, wow. He was yeah, like 6'8 yeah. when he committed. So got yeah. the One of the inches. tallest like guys it. Jay's brought into the program. I think he's right up there with Chef and Moof in terms of size. Um, and so... Love it. And so, always like to see that. Oh, Chris Charles, I think, was like... What was Chris Charles might have been seven feet tall. Jesus. Um, uh, but one of yeah. the tallest guys Jay's brought in, big guy, 245. Uh, you know, he's got some, got some meat on his bones. Um, so... You know, that's a full that, – the thing I love about that class is it's not two players at the same position or anything like that. Four guys, diverse, totally different set of skill sets. Um, so it's not like these guys are going to be necessarily competing with each other directly, although they will um, because of how Jay plays. But these guys are going to come in and they're going to and they're, they're going to form the core of the team for the next several years as, you know, classes move on. Four, four freshmen coming in. None of them are projected – as you know, one, two, and duns, whatever you could always have a Sadiq Bay amongst that group. You don't know at this juncture, don't see it yet. Um, but you could have a Bay type player who was kind of never projected to be a two year player or whatever, but ultimately becomes that. And if so, that will be better for that as a program. So, yeah, all these guys are basically in the kind of Nova sweet spot of four star recruits where you're kind of in that 50 to 100 rating which is exactly that. We expect you to stay a few years, develop. Obviously, development is something that Jay values. It takes a while, as we've seen, to understand the defense. Not just understand it, but really get good at it. And that's ultimately what gets you playing time on Jay's teams. And playing time equates to time in front of the cameras. And time in front of the cameras equates to time and spots on the NBA mock draft board. So, Good on these guys. It'll be fun to watch them for the next few years. Like you said, really kind of covering the bases there from point guards, combo guards, power forward centers, et yeah, cetera. So totally. it'll be cool. And then finally, uh, some some coaching news. Um, Ashley Howard. Um, no, Kyle Neptune. Why did I say Ashley Howard? Um, Kyle Neptune um, took the head coaching job at Fordham. Uh, so so he uh, he was the top assistant um I've said Ashley Howard because I'm just thinking of other top assistants who have left the program recently. Baker Dunleavy goes to take the head coaching position at Quinnipiac. Um, Ashley Howard goes to take the head coaching position at LaSalle. Um, and then Kyle Neptune now goes to take the head coaching job at Fordham. Um, and so, and so, you know, Jay's lost prominent uh, assistant coaches that have helped him win championships and whatever. 
But that's what happens when you win championships. That's a sign of a healthy program. When, when everyone talks about the coaching tree, if you will, Jay is spreading that coach, the wings of that coaching tree, and it's exciting to see that happen. That's good. We want to see that. And these are all guys who are candidates 10, 15, however many years down the line when Jay decides to you know, hang up the clipboard potentially could be guys who come back yeah. to the program, um, you know, and lead Villanova to the next era uh, of the program. So um, good for Kyle. Uh, uh, he worked his ass off in this program for a very long time to get to that head coaching position. Yeah. We've gotten a lot of questions. We said we would answer it last time. A lot of questions as to what, who's going to do what in the program, whatever best guess and most likely result, if it's not already announced already is that Jay's is going to promote from within um, word on the street is that Dwayne Anderson is kind of the guy who will assume that spot. Um, I doubt Jay goes external. Uh, you know, so I think that, uh, you know, Nardi and Dwayne kind of, a, you know, and, and George Halkovich, um, Halkovich assume, you know, the, 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 the spots left behind by each of them, they all move up and then Jay brings in a younger guy to backfill and continue to build out that tree. I don't think Jay is going to farm or go out to the, you know, external world and, and, and bring an assistant coach in on top of those guys. Um, especially knowing that Dwayne in particular has actually been in a, you know, big, big 10 assistant coach under Pat Chambers at Penn state. So he's had experience doing it. Yeah. It's interesting. Now, is this the point, have we reached the point where all of the guys from all the assist, the main assistants from 2016 have the, left at this the, point, the main which is interesting. Yes. Yes. Nardi and Halkovich have been with the program for a long time. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. So yeah. new leaf yeah, for Jay. Absolutely. Totally. Whatever. And that's something that we don't talk about a lot. Jay has to teach these guys how to coach. So it's not, it's not only Jay has to yeah, teach the absolutely. players how to play. He's going to teach the coaches how to coach. Um, so it's a, there's a lot. Jay has a lot on his plate in the coming years and has had a lot on his plate in the last couple of years. He yeah. is a people manager. So, so what does it all, what does it all equate to between the recruiting, the coaching changes, the, the, the seniors or whatever, obviously a lot in flux. Um, assuming that most of the players who we talked about potentially leaving leave, which is kind of our expectation um, and kind of the media's expectation, a lot of early tw- top 25s seem to have Nova. Top 10, I've seen as high as like 6 or 7. Um, I've seen as low as like 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. So it's all been in that like, you know, 5 to 15 or really like 7 to 15 range. Um Obviously depends on what the seniors do. If like Colin and JRE come back, you know, that's going to immediately vault Nova into a top five type team. If it's Samuels and Dada, you know, I think maybe you jump up a a spot or two. It all depends on the mix of players and who comes back and whatever. Uh, You know, the one thing I, the one thing, and we'll close with this based on our conversation earlier, what does Jay do if everyone comes back and he's got all these players coming in? I think Jay's fucked because I think I think yeah. he just runs two teams because it's like a villain of a B team and we just add them as a twelve team with <laughs> Big East and let it roll. You'd probably yeah. get like mid. Probably do better than DePaul. Uh, you'll yeah. definitely do better than um, DePaul. No, but but in all seriousness, I, I don't see how Jay's able to manage that, which is part of the reason why I think I think you're gonna see some of those seniors uh, move on. Cool. All right. Well, I yeah, guess so that's that, it for that the year. That the season um, and some early for next year preview. We do have uh, two more episodes in this podcast season at least. And we also have some special things in the works. So there could be another one in there. Um, uh, but uh, our next episode will be the 40s, um, which will be an energetic thing where we will hand out theoretical bottles of malt liquor um, um, to players, media members, whoever we decide to, and we invent the topics and, you know, it's kind of a, we do us. We do us. Um, So our award show uh, called the forties, we'll do that. We'll do that soon enough. Um, And then we will do one more episode um, in this season. Once we get to get some finality around the NBA draft and all of that. So that is the plan um, coming up. Thank you everybody for listening throughout the year. And in all seriousness, this has been just a crazy college basketball season crazy last year with everything that has happened between COVID between um, the obvious challenges around, uh, around race and politics in this country. Um, And we appreciate that a lot of you have don't have the commute that you normally have where you typically uh, put us on. 
And so we really appreciate that you stuck with us. Um, we, we're, we're very proud of that. And we, we hope that we've continued to entertain you um, throughout the, throughout the season and throughout the year that's been hopefully soon enough, you'll get vaccinated, get back to full health and you'll be able to commute again to work and listen to us. And we will have more podcasts and more content uh, to you as soon as we are able to do that. Um, so Rob, Indeed. it was great working with you again for another season. I'm sure I'll be talking to you every single day um, for the next rest of my life. Uh, so, uh, I so guarantee thank it. you everybody for listening. And as always, let's go. Nova.